Welcome to the Epic Podcast Miniseries in anticipation of the upcoming 2022 Epic Conference in Amsterdam from October 9th through the 12th. I'm your host, Matt Arts, and in this miniseries, we will explore the conference theme of resilience and other salient questions about the practice of ethnography and what it means to build a community. I'll be joined by guests from around the world who are either part of the conference committee or presenters. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Epic Podcast miniseries. I am here today with Therese Torstam and Dana Gerdowski, and we are going to be talking about ethnographic value and impact and, you know, what does that mean? How do we create it and demonstrate it? And this is in the context of Therese being on the case study committee and Dana being a case study presenter. So we're going to get kind of two different perspectives on how we demonstrate ethnographic value. And again, kind of what are we looking for in that when putting together, say, you know, a case study, a group of case studies at a conference. And so both Therese and Dana are UX researchers and have an interest in inclusive design. So we may touch on that as well. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, uh, Therese, you want to maybe introduce yourself? Of course, and uh, thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, I actually have a background within anthropology, and I see myself as a user researcher uh, slash UXer perhaps, but mostly working within user research. And I've been doing that for the last 10 years within the hearing aid industry, within the startup community, having a business of my own. And then for the last four years, I've been working at the public platform in Denmark uh, called health.dk, where citizens and healthcare professionals can access health data. And Dana? Hey, thanks everyone for having me. It's really great to be here. I am a senior manager um, in UXD user research at Lenovo. I, at that, in that role, I lead initiatives and support my team of researchers on cross-functional projects related to hardware, software, innovation, and emerging design, um, and also do a lot of work with Lenovo's product diversity office. Um, I'm a trained qualitative researcher, and I'm really passionate about accessibility, so really excited to, to talk today about that. Um, and before I worked in big tech, I worked in nonprofit research in higher education, IT. And before that, spent a number of years in academia, teaching, studying user experiences with technology and learning spaces, um, which is really where my interest in accessibility all started. Um, so yeah, so thanks for having me. Thanks. And um, Dana, would you mind maybe just continuing and uh, letting us know how you got interested uh, or in involved in the Epic community? Yeah. So uh, again, I, I'm relatively new to uh, big tech, again, after having that background in nonprofit and education. So I've been um, working in big tech in, at Lenovo for a little over a year. And that's when I started learning about Epic by following other researchers in, in the UX community um, and, and learning about it in that way. Uh, just really excited when I sort of stumbled upon um other industry researchers and learning about, uh, you know, the resources that were available through Epic and the communities and the conversations that were happening there seemed really exciting, especially related to a lot of the the types of research that that I that really um, 
energize me and excite me, which is, you know, field work and, and really being able to have those rich ethnographic experiences and doing generative and exploratory work. So it's about a year ago. And that's when I started following um, what was happening with, with the Epic Conference and uh, finally getting back together in person. And given the, the kind of work we were doing at Lenovo, the projects we were leading related to accessibility and working with um, users with disabilities, it just seemed like a really great opportunity to uh, to get involved at that point. So that's when we I threw my hat in the ring with um, our team on a project that we were working on. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. So I'm really excited to be uh, to be attending my first epic um, this year. Super exciting. Wonderful. Have you just out of curiosity, have you come together in other you know, communities of practice since the pandemic started or is this your first sort of major in person? This is my first major in person, and I'm so, so excited, uh, one, to just be with other humans in, in a physical space. <laughs> I, I, and I've, I've heard this from, from other colleagues as well in the community, um, and had certainly my share of, of, of really robust and, and great online conference experiences. But given that I'm a trained qualitative researcher and ethnography really, um, I feel work makes me so, uh, brings me a lot of joy. It's really awesome, I think, to be able to be back in a, in a physical space space with, with other folks who are just as passionate about these about this kind of research as I am. Yeah, great. Yeah, the previous episode was also on embodied experiences, and everybody just kind of keeps talking about having that experience at the conference. So just wanted to sort of tie that, you know, pull that thread through. But uh, thanks for sharing that. And Therese, um, so, you know, you're, you're coming at it from the perspective of the case study committee. So tell us a little bit about, again, how you discovered Epic and how you particularly got involved with the case study committee this year. Yes, so um, I've actually always been following EPIC and the EPIC community since I was a student. And I've been like putting, in, putting it up on a pedestal and being like, one day, one great day, I'll be there. <laughs> so, um, so I attended the last two years. So it was from my home office I attended. So this is also my first in real life epic conference. And so I'm super uh, excited about that. And, uh, and the way that I've, uh, that I've got involved uh, within the, um, the case study track was that uh, I was, I think I was very enthusiastic uh, throughout the, uh, the online conferences and uh, some of the members from the epic team, uh, saw that and reached out to me to to see if I could uh, co-chair uh, the epic uh, case study track uh, and and the case study track is is really focused on uh, the impact of ethnography uh, within business you talk about the impact there right so you use this word and I used it in the opening so what what do you think that means for you, uh, or maybe broader, if you could speak about what you're looking for on, as part of being you know, on the committee? Well, I think there are many different levels of impact. Uh, there's like impact on like for the individual, for, for instance, an organization, and there is like a societal impact. So there's like many different levels uh, where you can see that um, that with ethnographic methods and an ethnographic mindset, you can uh, you can create change and uh, and an impact uh, within 
uh, a society within an organization or on a more individual level. Great. And um, Dan, I want to just turn that over to you. Um, what do you see as you know the the value or, or impact? How do you view that, and, and how did you approach that in the case study you put together? Yeah, our our case study is related to uh, learning more about the experiences of individuals who are deaf and hard of hearing and what their um, sort of day to day experiences are like using their technology and we saw a real opportunity to learn from those users, uh, particularly those individuals, individuals with disabilities writ large have, have been left out of a lot of those conversations. And so it was really important to us to try to capture uh, what those lived experiences were like so that uh, one, that we could make an have an impact on um, outcomes with our products, right? How could we apply what we learned to make those experiences better for those users. And then when we think about accessibility, that that improves experiences generally for all users, right? So, so you know, starting there. And then we also saw a, another opportunity as well to have an impact internally within our organization to take advantage of this opportunity to make our research design and operations and practices more inclusive. So we saw it very much as twofold, right? That the 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 larger um, impact that we could, you know, hopefully have for for users, uh, for end users, and but also how can we learn about these communities? What do we, 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 we recognize we didn't know what we didn't know. So going into that research design, really trying to do our homework um, and educating ourselves and then learning from um, the participants in our study so that we could then apply those learnings to future research projects to make uh, them inclusive, more inclusive and equitable uh, for, for future projects that we're doing. So building on that and what Teresa had said about the value for individuals, organizations, and and society at large, there certainly is a lot of uh, value in the work that you're doing and, and a lot of impact on those groups. Um, but it's still sometimes, I, I think many of us find ourselves in organizations that don't always appreciate that type of value when we communicate it, maybe in that language, they're looking, you know, often there's kind of a quant bias we know, right? And there's maybe various things certain people are looking for. So how have you been navigating that in Lenovo? And maybe you're lucky in that Lenovo is just very, you know, very interested and open to this work. Um, but have you come across, you know, any individuals or anything that you would maybe share of how you're, you're really helping others see that value? At least I would say maybe others who initially don't see it? Yeah, I, I will say that I feel really fortunate to be at Lenovo, given our uh, the company's commitment to DEI issues, particularly, I, I mentioned before, the, the Product Diversity Office. And that particular uh, initiative um, has a, a diversity by design review process, right? So products are validated for inclusive design by experts um, that are really ensuring the usability for a diverse customer base. So I feel really supported in the work that I do there. But I, but to your point, I think that um, uh, in other circles and some other organizations that, that those conversations can be a little more challenging to have when, when folks are not as um, in the know or educated about other kinds of lived experiences. 
And one of the things that we see is with opportunities like this with Epic um, and with other sort of outward facing opportunities is to share that work because we feel like uh, at Lenovo, you know, that, that's something that we're very committed to doing there. And then how, when we share the work that we're doing, how that uh, improves experiences, we hope for, for other folks. So other researchers can take our learnings and apply that. And hopefully we can create products that are, um, uh, you know, more, more, um, accessible uh, for all users. I think one of the things, the value as well that, that I find particularly powerful with ethnography is um, hearing the perspective of the user. And one of the things we've been doing a lot internally at Lenovo with sharing of our data is uh, sharing out um, the, the video, um, the mobile ethnography is something that we did with this particular project. So we had this really unique opportunity to see inside the, the, the lives of our users um, so they could give us tours. And we had this both moderated and unmoderated opportunities with video, really rich data that then we shared out um, internally. And that had a really big impact, right? Hearing um, and seeing and getting a real sense of what what that was like with video and, and hearing from the actual perspectives from our from our users and um, I'm looking forward to being able to do that now at, at, with our epic presentation as well. We've got some really rich video examples that we're going to be sharing that we're really excited about. Again, hoping to then share out what we learned so that other researchers um, and other organizations, businesses, um, you know, can can uh, perhaps you know apply some of the things that we. Learned learned in that context. Great. And so, Therese, to, to maybe now flip that to you, um, without giving away like the secret sauce of Epic, if you will, um, what, you know, what are you looking for when you receive a case study? You know, or how are you looking for somebody to convey that value? Well, we've been having a lot of great uh, case studies this year, and it's been really tough uh, to share a bit about the process, we have a lot of volunteers. So it's not only me and the other co-chair, Lisa Kleinman, uh, who's uh, terrific, uh, but it's a lot of different people coming together from the community and uh, who are reading through all of the case studies and we're agreeing upon what is it that we're actually looking for. Because even though that... Uh, that what we focus on is like business impact and uh, how uh, is ethnography used within the business this can this can turn out in so many ways and most of us are very used to working with ethnography and using different kinds of qualitative methods both online digital and but also analog methods so it's kind of to see how using those methods and, and tools actually shapes an organization or shapes uh, products that, that creates true impact. Like seeing, like uh, for instance, with Dana's case, we actually see a business that focuses on the potentials of, of people uh, that have been perhaps overlooked uh, previously. So looking into diversity and looking into digital inclusion, seeing the business opportunities, but also seeing how 
a business can actually uh, how a business can um, influence uh, society <laughs> in some kind of way. Uh, so it's it's both on scales like that where it's actually uh, quite large scale, but it can also. But we've also been looking into case studies with a smaller impact, but still a very important impact. But also where uh, different kinds of tools and creativity has been used in different kinds of ways that also inspires us as uh, researchers and ethnographers. And seeing as you've been following, you know, the the you know, following Epic for a few years now and part of the committee, have you seen, you know, any any um trends, I guess I could say, maybe in that would help presenters when they're actually presenting case studies at the conference itself? Anything that really stands out to you that has been a success over the past few years? Mm. That's a good question, because I think that there's been so many different uh, ways that uh, the participants of EPIC have been inspiring us and been been doing things uh, to inspire. So one of the things that, uh, that I've taken with me and that I've used in my, uh, in my own work is... Um, you know, the great uh, one-liners. For example, uh, one participa uh, participant last year, uh, or one of the presenters last year, uh, she had this uh, one-liner with uh, saying uh, like, um, sorry, I'm just gonna take that again. Um, one of the presenters last year uh, shared with us that persistence beats resistance. And that really inspired me personally uh, within my own organization and how to follow a, a research project uh, out. And so, Dana, um, have you already put together your presentation for this year? And you know, are you taking any, any kind of novel approaches? Yes, we have. We are. We're working on it. I also note as well with with our case study is actually a partnership. Was speaking to to what. Therese was talking about with, you know, um, with with businesses and having that impact um, as a partnership with mobile ethnography platform, the uh, D-Scout. So I have, um, this was also a really, I think, inspiring opportunity to see two businesses coming together, working towards, like you said, having that impact. So so along with my, my co-authors, Karen Eisenhower of D-Scout and Peggy Hu of Lenovo, We've been working on that. We have the case study and working as well on our our presentation. We're going to be talking about some of the the key needs of the deaf and hard of hearing community. For example, you know the the need for improved um, captions, the need for better compatibility with their hearing assistive technologies, um, and uh, and I'd say for for our our in person presentation, we really want to be focusing on our key learnings. Um, on designing more inclusive research, really to include the perspectives of those individuals, as as Teresa said, who have you know historically been left out of of those kinds of conversations. Um, so yes, yeah, so we'll be talking about um, you know research design and operations, working with individuals um, who use American Sign Language, how the sort of the thorny things we had to think through in terms of doing this in an online environment, but also the benefits of a mobile forward um, research design and how that work really worked for us. And then really, um, 
you know, educating ourselves as well uh, uh, to, to learn about um, the the nuances of, of the deaf and hard of hearing community. You know, there's one size does not fit all. You know, when there's a saying in the disability community, when you've let, met one person with a disability, you've met one person with a disability, right? So again, the, the value here of an ethnographic pr approach really helped us tease out um, that nuanced data to, to, to understand that one size fits one, you know, in, in these, um, in these contexts. And we, th we thought, you know, we're really excited to be talking about how the ethnographic approach really was suited for capturing those individual stories. And, you know, there's going to be people who listen to this, but aren't going to, for, you know, for many reasons, attend. And so would you mind sharing a little bit, you know, just a little bit more on that? Um, you said, you know, you did some, you know, you obviously you use sort of digital tools to be a little you know, sort of creative from a methods perspective. Um, so I'd be curious just to hear a little bit more what you did there. And then also if you'd be willing to maybe give a summary of your findings. Yeah, sure, sure. We we talked, you know, regarding our methods, you know, we used the DSCAP platform, which will, you know, when, when the case study is published, there'll be a real deep dive into that. But was that was particularly helpful for reaching, you know, a, a, a hard to reach uh, sample right of individuals, so we were able to do that at scale um, with with DScout, which was really helpful. You know, a recruitment can be a real challenge, uh, I think in general. But when we're talking about trying to reach individuals, you know, who have some very specific um, uh, disabilities, that that we we've learned over the course of doing this this kind of research, both with the visually impaired community, with individuals who have. Um, uh, mob mob limitations with mobility, that, that that's a real challenge. So that was really useful to be able to reach, um, you know, to reach them at scale and also reach them so they are, um, uh, you know, being able to collect that data uh, within, you know, their own, the safety of their own homes that we're, we're doing this in a pandemic environment, right? So, so that was really helpful. Um, also thinking about providing accommodations, you know, we had to think through, okay, now we have to offer options. Uh, instead of recording a video, um, maybe the, the participant would prefer to, to write if they don't vocalize, or if they're gonna record a video, um, we're going to encourage them if sign language is their first language to sign their responses. And then the added things that we had to think about on our end from a, from a research operations perspective on having our videos translated, working with an interpreter when we're doing in, you know live um, moderated interviews. So a lot of really um, key learnings for us on creating an accessible research environment um, it, you know, from, from that side of the house. Uh, but as far as key learnings, you know, we, we learned so much from our users about some of the, the pain points and challenges that they had working um, in video conferencing. Uh, when we think about a lot of these video conferencing tools um, key in on audio. So when you have someone who doesn't vocalize, that becomes an issue with them being able to fully participate, things like that, um, as well as uh, captioning. We certainly learned both uh, from our users and, and also working with uh, automatic speech um, 
recognition uh, is is far from perfect, right? And so when we think about captions and how those can be uh, both helpful, but also there's a long way to go that we, we have to go with that technology to make it better and those improved experiences. And just thinking more about compatibility, um, those are some of the key takeaways for us uh, in terms of how can we um, improve technologies so that they are more compatible with, with devices like hearing aids and cochlear implants uh, so that those can pair in in, in easier ways and be used across platforms um, and be used across devices. Great. Thanks for sharing that. I, I think that's uh, certainly a lot of value, I would say, to uh, to piggyback on the, the theme here. For for those who are listening, uh, obviously not all of us are maybe uh, you know as deep into accessibility um, as, as some. And so I think that's just helpful to, to really educate the community at large. And so um, sort of building on that, uh, Therese, you on LinkedIn had wrote what was more or less like you could say a little case study on digital inclusion in, in public health uh, with the work you were doing with the health app. Um, so, you know, just sort of continue on in this theme with like, you know, broadly inclusive design and, and communicating value. You want to maybe just tell us a little bit about that and what you tried to do in your own post there? Yes. So, uh, so the last year I've been working up on this uh, research project because during COVID, uh, our uh, company support team uh, had a lot of people on the phone who didn't speak Danish and our platform is only in Danish. Uh, so they were struggling a lot with um, navigating uh, our website. They had to use our website or our our app uh, to, for instance, get a COVID test result or a COVID passport, which was a thing that you had to use to get into restaurants and travel abroad and and everything uh, d- during the uh, during the pandemic. So. Uh, this was uh, one of the the cases that kind of inspired me to say we need to look into the ethnic minorities in Denmark, which actually is 14% of the population. And uh, we need to uh, understand not only how they uh, interact with our digital solutions, but also how they navigate uh, within the healthcare sector. Um, and then, of course, also how they navigate our platform and understand our platform. And um, and one uh, and the reason why I shared this article on LinkedIn was just to to share the insights because I think that many people around the world, uh, uh, even though it's it doesn't have to be within the public sector, it could. It might as well be within the private sector or NGOs or whatever, but uh, looking into like our world is so digital uh, and sometimes it's not easy to to navigate the digital world. In Denmark, we're front runners in uh, in digitalizing or digitizing the um, the whole public sector. But actually, new research shows that up to 22% of the population actually struggle to use our digital solutions. Uh, so, so that was why I wanted to, to share the, the insights from this research project uh, with 
the com the user research community actually, and to to just share like uh, some of the some of the insights was that even though I was focusing on ethnic minorities in Denmark, some of the insights actually or, or the recommendations within the project could actually help a lot of different people, not only people where there's a language barrier or, or, or stuff like that, but also help help people that perhaps find find it difficult to read <laughs> because many of these uh, public platforms has has a lot of text. So just like simple things as, as using more video, uh, using graphics to um, uh, within your content and small things like this that can create a huge impact uh, for the individual. Great. And so, you know, for me, that brings up something um, that I think many of us struggle with, which is when working in business, oftentimes, you know, we've signed agreements that prevent us from sharing, you know, most of the of the research and the data. Um, and so I guess this could go to either of you. I mean, Dana, did you have any of these struggles? And if so, how did you work around it? And or alternately, Therese, um, were you maybe helping to coach anybody that was accepted in trying to work around this problem of, you know, what can I reveal um, versus what do I have to keep under the NDA? Matt, you're right. You know, there's, there's certain things that we um, are not, we don't talk about until products go to market. So, you know, we had to think about, um, you know, in terms of the recommendations we were making and what we were sharing out with the Epic community as well. But I will say that given that this project was generative um, and exploratory and that the things that we will be applying are in our, our project planning for, you know, in the next several years, that we felt that the recommendations that we were making and the insights that we were gleaning would benefit when we think about you know keeping those sorts of things to ourselves when we can understand that the impact um, of sharing out you know uh, some of these data with with communities like epic and others that it it raises the ex you know it improves the experience for everyone and that's really important i think to lenovo and the recent in our in our in our user experience researchers and especially as well to our partner at d scout and, and d scout talked a lot about that and has some really interesting things they're going to be um, putting in place that they'll be talking talking about very, very soon, right, to improve accessibility on that front. So I, um, you know, it's, they've, they've been a great partner to work with. And, and, and uh, but yeah, it is a challenge. It's that sort of li line that you walk as well. But Lenovo also recognizes the importance of sharing this information out as well, because those recommendations, as, as Therese says, have, have the, the, the potential and the power to uh, to to make experiences better for all users, um, and when we're thinking about underrepresented groups, that's especially important. But I think too to your point, Matt, earlier too about sort of making the business case for these sorts of things too. That that you know what we have tried to impart when we uh, at, when we every, at every opportunity is the value of you know that inclusive design that in, that universal design it benefits all right so if you know and to, and to, to you know i think Therese had a, a great example with with talking about digital content right with the study that she did when we think about improving captioning um think about the number of folks who use captions uh, who who don't have a specific type of hearing loss right we have folks who have situational 
um, considerations. They're they're in a noisy environment, or they're in an environment need, they need to be really quiet. Or we have, you know, there's captions are are there's really interesting studies being done now on captions on how they're uh, they're becoming so universally used, right? And so many um, technologies started out, you know, with got their um, you know, got their start with uh, a particular use case in the disability community that we are all benefiting from now today. It's sort of that curb cut effect that's this this discussed a lot in in the disability of accessibility research and communities. So, um, but yeah, it is is trying to trying to walk that line as well, uh, but also a- acknowledging that this work is really really important and that it's uh, we feel um, with our our responsibility for to be good corporate citizens to share that out as well great thanks and therese yeah i i really agree with dana about uh, having this kind of explorative research study but also i see this as a huge luxury when uh, working within the public sector in denmark because i I really share the knowledge we get from our different uh, research project. Uh, of, of, I really share the. Uh, sorry, I I really like to share the research findings we have from our different research projects, and I feel like I have an obligation to actually do that because it is public research in some kind of way, and so many people could benefit uh, from these insights that are more general and could be used in many different kinds of businesses, organizations, or within the public sector. All right. Well, wonderful. Um, Thank you both for taking the time. Um, Dana, good luck with the presentation. And Teresa, thanks for all the effort you put into reviewing the case studies. Hope you both have a wonderful time at the conference and um, we'll uh, hope to chat in the future. See you there. Thank you. Thanks for listening and be sure to check out the Epic website at epicpeople.org and follow, subscribe, and share to help us build some anticipation for this year's conference being held in Amsterdam from October 9th through the 12th. I'm your host, Matt Arts. Until next time.